We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. Yusei, we are into June now here as we transition here in the offseason, getting further and further along here. Uh, we're just under 100 days away from the start of the NFL season, though, which is very exciting. OTAs are starting up to, uh, this week for the Bears, which makes things very exciting as well. But overall, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. You mentioned OTAs starting up. The Bears are actually at OTAs as we speak. I know it's limited media availability because they're only speaking to the media this Wednesday, which would be June 2nd, as well as next Wednesday, which is, I believe, June 9th or 10th. But it's still really exciting because for the first time all offseason, you don't just have rookies out there. You have rookies and veterans. Essentially, what it is is that this is like a mini it's basically like a mini training camp at this point and i think a lot of what we're going to see in otas is going to lay the groundwork for what's going to happen throughout that four or five week period in late july early august during training camp yeah absolutely it's very exciting because like you said this is the first time seeing the rookie class with the veterans all together seeing how this team you know the first initial stages of getting this team to fit cohesively as a single team so to speak so It'll be awesome to see Justin Fields out there with some of the guys that actually will be contributing for this offense this year. I know um, he had a good connection with Daz Newsom at the rookie minicamp, but now he gets a chance to throw to guys like Anthony Miller. Um, I'm not sure if Alien Robinson is going to be at the OTAs. Uh, I, I highly doubt it the way his contract situation is unfolding, but I mean, Darnell Moon is going to be there at OTAs, I would assume. Uh, Cole Komet's probably going to be there. So a chance to get uh, some, some reps and get a little bit of chemistry with some of these other guys here. Uh, which is definitely a positive. So, you know, in, in many respects there for Justin Fields, if he's playing with the ones, you know, we'll see how they divvy it up, which is going to be interesting. Um, you know, make sure to follow our guy, Zach Pearson, publisher for the Bear Report on all that stuff. He's going to be reporting that stuff on the days that the media is going to be at OTAs. So hopefully he has some interesting nuggets for us to kind of glean into how this is going for the Bears and 
you know, what to expect for this team going into training camp. But there has also been some other news for the Bears here over the past you know, couple of days, really, because with June 1st coming up, uh, it was yesterday, June 1st, was recording this episode on June 2nd. Um, you know, the Bears had some cap space clear up as a result of the June 1, uh, post-June 1 release of Charles Leno that is now officially taking into form um, right now. So the Bears were able to clear around $9 million in cap space as a result of Charles Lyons being cut as a post one designation, post June 1st designation, I should say. And that gives the Bears some options. Obviously, I think a lot of that was more so just so they had some room to sign their rookie draft class, but it does appear that they are looking to add some veteran talent that's still available right now in free agency. Uh, you know, a couple of, a couple of guys to keep them in mind for this one. Um, they've kind of had some conversations with in the past, you know, Stephen Nelson, cornerback who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers the last couple of years, a very good corner that can play on the outside or in the nickel. Uh, Rashad Breeland as well, who spent, who spent the past couple of years in Kansas City, another uh, quality starting caliber corner. So it looks like they're looking to add to that corner room a little bit here, but maybe more interestingly here, something that came across us uh, the last couple of days with the June 1, June 1st release of Charles Leno, uh, Morgan Moses, right tackle for the Washington football team over the past, I don't know, seven, eight years. He's been in the league for a very long time. He's been a quality average starting tackle in this league for a long time. Uh, very interesting because he is visiting with the Bears, I think, today, but it was there's some, been some mixed reporting on that. It was either he was visiting them yesterday or he's visiting them today, it sounds like. Either way, by the time this recording, uh, this podcast comes out, Morgan Moses would have you know met with the Bears here, and we'll see if you know they work out a contract here. But I found that to be very interesting because I felt like after the release of Charles Leno that they would just be content to roll with you know, Seven Jenkins starting at left tackle and I fed at right tackle. But no, you know, it appears that they are still looking to add to that tackle group, uh, which puts some question into what their plan is with the offensive line group as a whole. Yeah, Morgan Moses is interesting because I was actually doing some extensive research on him yesterday. And he's only, I think, 27, 28 years old. You're getting a player who's still in his prime. He was a third round pick of the Washington football team back in 2014. And he started, I think, 90-something career games. And he actually has not missed a single start since 2015. What you're getting is a right tackle that is very durable. Now, the Bears have not had durability or consistency at the right tackle position over the last couple of years. You look at Bobby Massey, well, he's was injured. Jermaine Ifedi, I mean, he's good, but... He's not the caliber of a, a right tackle that a player like Morgan Moses could be. And I think that when teams release players, especially after the draft, what tends to happen is you're going to get those veterans at a much cheaper price than originally anticipated. And I'm just going to throw this one out there, too, because we are talking about free agent signings. Let's just say you don't get a deal with Morgan Moses son. Well, what are you going to do at that point? I think that Mitchell Schwartz is still out there. Now, Mitchell Schwartz is another solid name to keep an eye on as a right tackle because yes, he's coming off a injured season. I believe he tore his Achilles, whatever the case may have been ended his year, but he was with Matt Nagy in Kansas city from 2016 until 2018. And he'd really be a good addition to the offensive line because he's seen what the Bears are trying to do at quarterback because the Chiefs did the same thing with Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. So Mitchell Schwartz is another name to keep an eye on. As a guy who has some years left in the tank, is in his early 30s, has played at a really high level. He's been an all-pro. And I think right now, 
you could step in and legitimately argue that if the Bears were to sign Mitchell Schwartz, he would probably be the second best offensive lineman on the all-line behind Cody Whitehair. Yeah, Schwartz is another name to keep an eye on as well. I'm interested to see where his health is at because uh, you mentioned Achilles. That was actually Eric Fisher in the Chiefs who had the Achilles tear. Schwartz has been more so. He's been dealing with back problems, um, which is very debilitating for tackles um, on the edge there. So we'll see if Schwartz is you know, ready to go for that. Um, I think it's all dependent on health and whether he wants to go back and play another season at this point because I think, like you said, you know, he wasn't, he was an all pro not too long ago. And I think he does have a couple of years left in the tank. If he wants to play again, it's just a matter of, you know, how healthy is his body and, you know, how much is he willing to put his body on the line again to play football uh, for another season there. So I, I could see that being an option here. I, I do find it interesting with Morgan Moses that they are continuing to go on this trend here. If you look at some of their offensive line additions over the off season uh, or the last two options really with Castillo coming in as the offensive line coach, getting out of Jermaine a big mauler, on that right side of the offensive line. And then this offseason going after Wilkinson, uh, Elijah Wilkinson to be a swing tackle source for them, kind of a bigger plotting offensive lineman. And then the draft, look at Tevin Jenkins, again, a big physical run blocking mauler tackle. And then Larry Boren. It appears that, you know, Castillo wants this. You can see where he wants to move this offensive line. So I find it interesting. Moses, he's been traditionally a better run blocker than pass protector in his NFL career, especially over the past couple of years. So again, they're clearly looking to build a smash mouth, run first, you know, kick your ass type of offensive line up front there with their offensive line. And Moses kind of fits that identity there, um, which I find very interesting overall. Um, and it kind of gives me, you know, from a schematic standpoint and a philosophy standpoint, I do think looking at this group here that, you know, they're going to look to run the ball this year. And, and, you know, I had some questions about that because, you know, you go for a guy like Justin Fields coming from a pass-happy vertical offense um, at Ohio State. You know, maybe Nat, Matt Nagy would want to go back to his roots a little bit more in Kansas City with more of a spread coast, you know, throw the ball all over the field type of offense there. But, no, it appears that they're looking to commit to that run game as of right now. And, you know, I can't say that's necessarily a bad decision right here because you look at where this offense is at, you know, they could definitely benefit from having an efficient run game. I would like to see them be more of a passing team overall, but uh, you can never have, you know, too good of a run game, I think. That helps you in many aspects of things, especially in a city like Chicago where it's going to get cold and windy in the later season. You know, having a run game that you can fall back on is, is definitely something that is could be a positive for this offense and raise their floor a little bit. Yeah, I think when you look at the, offensive linemen let's be honest I mean they're bringing in these big guys that are ballers because the Bears have had absolutely zero push on the offensive line and that's been very evident over the last couple of years they have they have no one on the offensive line besides Cody White here that's consistently able to impose their will on defensive linemen and just the guys on that second level of defense in general which really includes those middle linebackers but then also I think it makes sense to go with a bit of a run first offense this year because let's just say you trot Andy Dalton out there you're not going to run a pass first offense with Andy Dalton and then with Justin Fields look I was just on ESPN I said this about Fields Fields is the a dual threat quarterback is what he is let's call it how it is you can what he showcased at Ohio State was that he could win games in the air by passing the ball hit any throw on the field or he could hurt you with his likes now in the NFL there's going to be a much bigger adjustment curve there's going to be a learning curve that Justin Fields is going to have to go through and so in order for him to become a true passing quarterback at the NFL level because there's a big difference between being a passer 
and being highly productive in college and doing it in the NFL level where your secondaries, the coverages they're throwing at you is just so different. They're basically what the bears are doing is this, is they're taking it slow with Justin Fields and saying, Hey, you know what? Let's kind of have a 50, 50 balanced run pass game. We know we're going to run the ball just a bit more, but it's only because we're going to bring you along slowly. And then they're eventually going to build towards that pass first offense, because the potential is there for that to certainly happen, especially with the playmakers that the bears have. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to that either. You know, it, it's, again, like you said, I think you, they want to eventually get to a, a point where they are a pass-first offense and they're able to, you know, I think Nagy at, at his core, I think he wants to build an offense like he did in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes and that passing attack over there. He wants it to be an explosive vertical offense where, you know, they're putting up 30, 40 points a game primarily through their passing game. But I think as of right now, you're, you're trying to ease Justin Fields into this transition here. I think it makes sense to you know, try and fall back a little bit more on your running game, be a bit more physical up front, control the line of scrimmage a little bit more and try to build off of that a little bit um, as Justin Fields kind of gets initiated here in his NFL career, uh, which should hopefully help his development overall and, and take a little bit of pressure off him, even though I, I think he has mental uh, acumen and ability to uh, handle, you know, a bit of a workload, a bit higher of a workload early on in his career. But again, uh, trying to help out your quarterback as much as possible I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for sure. All right. Well, I think that's uh, a good way for us to transition to the main topic for today's episode. And, you know, originally we were planning on doing a Q&A episode coming up here, but I think we figured that, you know, now is not maybe not the best time a little bit here in the dead parts of the offseason here. Maybe as we get closer to training camp a little bit and closer to uh, the 2022, 2021 season for college football, we can get a Q&A view up here. So, uh, or I should say episode up here. So what we're going to be doing today is, is starting something that's going to be a little bit fun for us, I think, over the next month or so. And that's looking back at some of the older draft classes of Ryan Pace and his tenure here as the Bears GM. You know, we talked about a lot, uh, their 2021 class here over the past month or so. We talked about that extensively. Uh, it's been really fun trying to uh, getting some interviews with some different people to get a little bit of different perspectives on the Bears draft class as a whole. But I think this is a fun way for us here to look at look back at what Ryan Pace has done here as the GM and kind of you know get a sense of you know some of the mistakes he's made some of the positives he's made with his draft picks and his draft record as a whole and you know what that can mean for his tenure going forward here you know because I would assume that he's going to be staying as a GM next year as well with the move to get Justin Fields so um, at this point I, I think it's a fun way to kind of get a sense of how Ryan Pace has performed with his draft record. So we're starting off with his first draft class, and that's the 2015 draft class. Today, you know, I think we're going to at least get through the 2018 draft classes because I think it's always good. You can always get a good idea of what a draft class is after three years, I think. I think uh, after three years, you know how good or bad a draft class is um, at that point in time. So maybe we'll do 2019. We'll see what happens there. But if anything, you know, we're going to at least get through 2018 here over the next month or so, and it should be uh, very fun to go to go through this. So you say without further ado, let's get to this 2015 draft class here, because this was an interesting one for the Bears. Again, like I said, it was their first draft under Ryan Pace as the general manager. And, you know, the Bears looking at where they were at as a franchise here. This was a team that was in complete rebuild mode. They were trading away assets like a Brandon Marshall for cheap. Basically, at this point, they were getting rid of guys basically just to get rid of them because they wanted to clear out the culture a little bit, you know, have a little bit of a culture change here because, you know, things got so toxic in that 2014 season 
under Mark Trestman there as a head coach. It was just brutal in all aspects of things. They had probably the worst defense uh, in franchise history that season. The roster was old. It was a disaster uh, after Phil Emery, you know, really botched some drafts and, uh, you know, went all in on, on an older free agency team. So, uh, you know, you look at here, they had three building blocks at this time here with Kyle Fuller, Kyle Long, and Alshon Jeffrey at this point. So those were, you know, some of the big names on this roster at the time. They also had Jay Cutler uh, still here as well as the quarterback. And what I found fascinating about this that was that Pace was still working with uh, Phil Emery's scouting staff at this point. So this really wasn't uh, Ryan Pace's scouting staff where he really felt comfortable with these guys. And I think we saw that reflected in this draft out of all the drafts uh, that Ryan Pace had. I think you can look at this and definitely say that it was among the weaker drafts that Ryan Pace had. Um, and then we saw things really change in the 2016 draft, which we'll get to in, a, in, a, in our next episode. But, uh, you know, we definitely saw in 2015 here that, uh, going through Phil, Phil Emery's staff was a bit of a challenge here. Um, but overall here, getting to this thing here, when you look at the draft as a whole for the Bears, they didn't make many moves here, no trades at, at any point in this draft. Like I said, they had Jay Cutler on the contract. Now, there were rumors about Ryan Pace wanting to trade up for Marcus Mariota, but that never really materialized. Instead, the Bears stayed put at all their draft picks, and you, know, it, you can definitely see that they were clearly going for a bit of a cultural change here. So, you said overall, before we get into this pick by pick, what were your overall thoughts on this draft as a whole? Looking back at it, you know, a few years down the road, uh, getting a chance to look back at it, um, and especially with the context of where they were at as a franchise at that time. Yeah, it was one of those drafts that it was a placeholder draft, basically. And what I mean by a placeholder draft is that you knew that the roster was so beat down. It's like you mentioned that there were only three building blocks on the roster at the time, which none of those were even Ryan Pace picks. It was Kyle Long. It was um, Alshon Jeffrey and then Kyle Fuller. And so there was absolutely zero young talent. And then all you had was a bunch of older free agent veterans, but this was a placeholder draft in the sense that none of these guys, well, there's only one guy that made it to a second contract with the bears and that's Eddie Goldman. But also you look at these, I mean, none of these guys made it to a second contract. That's number one. The second point I want to make is that a lot of these guys, none of them really had long-term futures because like Rasu was with the 49ers and I believe the Titans, but he's no longer on the NFL team. Same thing with Jeremy Langford. All right. Same thing with Teo Fabaluge, who was an offensive tackle that the Bears selected in like the sixth or seventh round. So just when you look at this draft in general, it was a placeholder in the sense that it was Pace just trying to lay the foundation and add some talent because talent needed to be added. But no one was really a long-term building block besides, like I mentioned a moment ago, Eddie Goldman. Yeah, I think it's a good way for us to get into this thing, just going pick by pick here. So let's go over this draft as a whole for the Bears because they had six picks in this draft. Uh, again, they did not make many moves to trade up or trade down here. They mostly just stayed pat here and got the guys that were available to them. So with their first pick at the seventh overall pick, they got Kevin White, wide receiver out of West Virginia. And then their second round pick, like you mentioned, Eddie Goldman, uh, he's been a stud nose tackle for this team uh, for a very long time. here. got that second contract, like you mentioned. And then in the third round, Hironis Grisou, fourth round, Jeremy Langford, that running back. And then the fifth round, Adrian Amos, who, you know, was – the first of Ryan Pace's many day three steals that he's become accustomed and what we've known him to be. Um, it seems like, you know, it's, it's been a yearly tradition where Ryan Pace finds a, a steal on day three of the draft um, that comes in and just plays a big role right away. Uh, and then in the sixth round, Ty Fabulaje, like you said, offensive tackle, 
didn't really do anything in the NFL. It's whatever. So let's break this thing down. Let's break this down pick by pick here, starting with Kevin White here. And, you know, it's just, this is a tough conversation because Kevin White coming out of college, you know, he was a bit of a one-year wonder coming out of West Virginia, but that one year he was very good. And you look at the physical traits that he had, he was big, he was strong. Uh, he had great length at the wide receiver position and he was fast too. So he had a great combination of size, size, strength, and speed uh, that you're looking for at the wide receiver position. But the big problem with Kevin White here, um, that was just very unfortunate. I think more than anything, he just could not stay healthy. And uh, he's one of those guys where you're looking at this here, the bears, they traded Brandon Marshall in the off season. They were looking to find that second wide receiver next to Alshon Jeffrey. And, you know, Kevin White, again, he was seeing as a top two wide receiver in this class, him and Amari Cooper were the top two wide receivers uh, consistently graded out to be in that group there by themselves. Um, just unfortunate. He only played 14 games in his NFL career with the bears. Like I said, he was injured all the time. He missed his entire rookie season, I think with a stress fracture in his leg, which came to be a bit of an issue for him. Those, those lower body injuries, just, he just could not figure those out. And it's just unfortunate for him to, you know, the bust like that because there were other good wide receivers taken after him. You look at some of the big names here. Stefan Diggs was a day three pick. Um, of course, he's probably the best wide receiver in this class as a whole, but Devontae Parker, even in the first round, he was another guy that has had a good NFL career as well. So it's just very unfortunate for Ryan Pace's first draft pick in his tenure and just turns out to be a colossal bust there with Kevin White. Yeah, White was... Well, here's the thing. Some outlets actually compared White to DeAndre Hopkins. I thought he was a DeAndre Hopkins light, but of course I was not extensively scouting back then. But overall with White, what it was this is that I think when you look at some of the rationale and you look at the pick, the thought was this, that the Bears were going to build up the roster and then take, and Pace especially thought this too, that they were going to build up the roster, add a wide receiver, add to the offense. And then all of a sudden when they did eventually decide to draft a rookie quarterback, whenever it was going to be that there would be an established wide receiver one on the roster to help that young quarterback get acclimated to the NFL. Now, unfortunately that never happened, but with white, you mentioned the stress factor. I mean, the bears, they completely lied about that as well. The entire injury and everyone was like, well, what's going on. And then the following year in 2016, he, came out healthy, but then broke his collarbone, I think week three or four against the Cowboys. And then 2017 week one, I believe he hurt the same collarbone. And then going into 2018, what happened is he was on the roster head coach, Matt Nagy, I believe mentioned that, look, I'm going to make Kevin white, my personal reclamation project. But then you just saw that with all the talent, that the bears has added by the 2018 offseason with Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller, that there was no true role for Kevin white left and white. He's bounced around. I mean, he's been with Arizona was with San Francisco as well. But overall, man, it's just an unfortunate thing that injuries really derailed his NFL career because he was very talented at the JUCO level as well as when playing for um, West Virginia at the time. And then regarding just some of the other wide receivers, I mean, I think when you look at this draft class that Stefan, there's three wide receivers. So there's four total wide receivers that have materialized from this draft class. Amari Cooper has been the best one hands down, depending on who you talk to. Then you have Stefan Diggs, Devontae Parker, and Tyler Lockett. I think if you were to go back and do a redraft, Kevin White would not be drafted at all um, just because of the injury history. And you would see the four guys that I just mentioned go in round one. Yeah, it's absolutely it, it's absolutely crazy. Like you mentioned that, like Kevin White, a guy who's going to be, it was a top 10 pick. And we're already talking about he probably would not have been drafted or at the very least probably not drafted until like late day three 
where you take an up, where you take a chance on his upside uh, with his athletic ability. But again, like I said, it's just very unfortunate. And again, as the first pick in Ryan Pace's tenure, it just did not start things on a high note for Ryan Pace. And and it's kind of started a trend for Pace where we started to see this where he would make he would just he would make uh, a big bold play for a traitsy guy in the first round with a lot of upside, but you know had some work to do to kind of fill out his the rest of his game there. You know, taking a chance on that upside in the first round, having it not really pan out, but then still on day three of the draft, finding these studs on day three that ended up contributing right away and um, starting for him. So that that really, this draft really started that trend, I thought, even though it was with limited draft picks and with a different scouting department in place there. Um, but something's never changed. And, and unfortunately, uh, the Kevin White pick just didn't work out overall. I don't blame White as much. It was just, just really bad luck with injuries. Um, but you know, moving on to the second round, this is where things start to get a little bit more positive here. You have Eddie Goldman in here who, you know, the bears at the time, they needed a nose tackle because they were transitioning from a four, three Tampa two defense to the three, four defense that they're running right now. Um, under Vic, it was originally under Vic Fangio, but now under Sean Desai, um, they were transitioning to that three, four defense and in a three, four defense, you need a nose tackle that can, you know, two gap and plug up lanes of the run game. And, you know, Eddie Goldman was seen as a guy that could probably could fill that role. And absolutely Goldman has filled that role. He's been a nice find for this team, even though the positional value isn't great in the second round going after a nose tackle. You know, Goldman, I think, has shown that he has enough pass rushing ability to where he justified that selection um, in the second round. He's not just a run stuffing nose tackle. He's a guy that can contribute on all three downs throughout his career. Again, not quite the Pro Bowl level player looking for in the second round, maybe, but Again, if you can find a starting caliber player and an impact starter in the second round, uh, that's absolutely something you're looking for. Uh, again, like I said, he's been extremely impactful at his position, and he's definitely one of the best nose tackles in the NFL. He's been that way uh, ever since he started his career. He is, and Eddie Goldman's one of those guys that actually makes the Bears' defense click, you could argue, because what were the Bears missing in 2020? They were missing Eddie Goldman, but they were also missing – that big presence in the middle that would take on a lot of team hicks up that would also go ahead and free up um, Khalil Mack and guys like Roquan Smith so that Roquan Smith could go ahead and shoot the gap and do his own thing. So Eddie Goldman really is one of the best parts of the Bears defense, and he's also one of the most underrated parts of the Bears defense. And I remember doing research on him that year. He was actually there in in the throughout the early parts of the draft process, so I want to say January, February ish, a lot of people for sure thought that Eddie Gold was going to be a top 10 pick. But then again, you know, you have a lot of other information that comes out, like pro days, that stuff. You have the 30 team visits that teams are allowed each year with prospects, bring them into the team facility, as well as the big ones, the NFL scouting combine. So, yeah, Goldman slipped to. I believe it was 39th overall, somewhere in the second. Well, he was a second round pick, but I think it was like 39th overall. But you look at it, I mean, he, he's been the best player from this 2015 draft just because of what he's been able to do. And his impact as a rookie was very noticeable. Now, his rookie season did end with an injury. But other than that, he's been relatively healthy and durable, and he's played at a really high level. And that's one of the things is that when you're talking about the nose tackle position, you really want stability. And good nose tackles in the NFL, they don't just last four, five, six, seven years. Like, no, they figure out a way to last 10 years and Goldman's under contract until 2023 or 2024, I believe. So he's only going to be 26 or 28, 29 years old at that point. So he has a chance to really earn a third contract and continue playing for the Bears 
well into his early 30s. Yeah, I just think they drafted him pretty young. I think he was like 20, 21 years old coming out of college at that point out of Florida State. So he was a young player coming out of college. And that's one of the benefits of drafting young players is when they get to their second contracts, they still have a lot of prime years left in the tank there. And to, to really capitalize off of that second contract as well. And, you know, Eddie Goldman, you talked about how he was a guy that was rated very highly going into the draft process, but fell all the way to the second round. I think on a redraft, he'd probably be a first round pick. Um, if, you know, all three teams teams were to redraft this class, uh, maybe as like a late first rounder there because of the positional value thing. Uh, but Eddie Goldman, I think one of the things that hurt him is he had a, he had a pretty bad workout um, at his at uh, the NFL Combine and his pro day. Uh, you look at his relative athletic score from that year, it was like in the fours or something like that. So wasn't a great athlete in terms of the testing numbers coming out of college. And then he was very, there are notable stories where he was very out of shape and his first initial days of OTAs and training camp uh, when he got to the Bears there. So it took him a while to really get in the shape and really work on his body a little bit. But when he did, uh, boy, he really blossomed into a fantastic player for the Bears defense. He was one of the key cogs for that unit in 2018. Um, uh, one of the key pieces of that defense really helped uh, the Bears in terms of just the fact that they didn't have to go into base all the time. They could put him and Akeem Hicks out there as their lone defensive tackles uh, on, on, the, on, the, uh, on the defensive line right there. And that really helped their coverage unit as well during that season. So Eddie Goldman, just his ability to impact the game as a run defender and pass, and pass rusher, uh, very valuable for this defense, even though you know, he's not the flashiest player in the world in the second round there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, that moves us on to the third and fourth round where we'll group these guys together because both of them only played two years with the Bears. And that's Rose Grossu in the third round and Jimmy Langford in the fourth round. Like I said, uh, both these guys only played two years. They were primarily backups during their time here. You know, Grassou, he's still in the league right now. He hung around the Ravens for a long time. You mentioned a couple other teams there. You know, it was interesting. He was thought to be the future at center for the Bears when he was drafted. He played next to Kyle Long at Oregon, which was kind of – it was seen as, you know, you get Kyle Long's former teammate in college. You know, those two guys would have that chemistry right away at that center and guard spots. But Grassou, I think what hurt him, uh, he just – Never had the strength to play in the NFL. Uh, he was always seen as like an undersized guy coming out of college, and that really proved to be his major flaw when he got to the NFL. He was eventually unseated by 2016 second-round pick Cody White here the very next year. So obviously they knew right away that they need to replace him at that center position because he just didn't have the strength to hold up. And then Jeremy Langford, 
Uh, very interesting career for him because his rookie year, uh, there were a lot of Bears fans that were excited about his potential because even though he averaged 3.6 yards per carry as a rookie, he had a couple nice games that re-showed some interesting ability um, as an open field runner and as a receiver. I, I remember distinctly the games against the Chargers and Rams where he had pretty good games um, in those ones. So just never worked out for him. Couldn't break tackles. Um, just wasn't a guy that can move the change for you as a running back. I think he established a nice role as a, as a backup to Matt Forte. You know, he had seven total touchdowns as a rookie, but other than that, just never contributed anything else to the Bears uh, as a fourth-round pick. Yeah, when when you look at Grasso as well as Jeremy Lankford, both of them you talked about, and they were, you could argue, at one point considered to be future starters at their position. Now, in Grasso's case, really what had happened is I thought that back then he was really solid, and let's be honest, you know, rookies for a rookie he was pretty solid because rookies are always going to have that learning curve but what happens is Grasso was unseated not just because of the torn ACL that he sustained but also because when the Bears drafted Cody Whitehair they immediately moved Whitehair over to center which then at that point was like hey Grasso I'm sorry we really don't have a spot for you so it's going to be more so one of those things where you find you can stick around on the roster as some depth and backup but there really is not a true role that we have for you and then when you look at Jeremy Langford I mean he established a good role as a backup to Matt Forte he was a good depth piece now he impacted the Bears offense that year both as a runner as well as a receiver he had seven total touchdowns as a rookie but then also you look at Langford he was another guy that was unseated as soon as the Bears drafted Jordan Howard because if you remember the 2016 offseason effectively what had happened is the Bears they let Matt Forte go they never even offered him a contract and now all of a sudden you begin to think well Langford had seven touchdowns as a rookie could he really be the future starter at running back but then the Bears got their hands on Jordan Howard and Langford didn't even make the final um to the final stages of the cut down in 2016 during training camp. I mean, I believe he was gone after the first or second wave because Howard just burst onto the scene. So ultimately when we, it might've been 2016 or 2017, but either way, Langford still lost his job to Jordan Howard. So ultimately when we look at Grasso as well as Langford, the common trend between both of them is that they both lost their jobs to 2016 draft picks that eventually went on to become really solid players for the bears. Yeah, I think it was 2017 where Langford did not make uh, the final cut. I think he, he spent time with the Falcons that year. I think he was with the Bears, though, in 2016. But, again, he was a backup once again because once Jordan Howard got rolling, uh, there's no way John Foss would take him off the field. But one guy that ended up did sticking with the Bears throughout his rookie contract was the fifth-round pick for the Bears, and that was getting Adrian Amos, uh, who ended up being a day-one starter in the fifth round for them. Anytime you can get a day-one starter that late in the draft, that's a huge W. A huge victory for you as a front office there. Um, and this was an interesting pick because uh, the Bears ended up getting this pick from uh, the New York Jets in exchange for Brandon Marshall. Uh, they trade Brandon Marshall to the Jets after, you know, Marshall had a bit of a falling out with the team. Um, you know, there was some issues in the locker room there that were kind of cited as a reason for this. Uh, the Bears, I don't think they maximized the value on Marshall as much as they could have with how good of a receiver that he was at that stage of his career. But to turn Brandon Marshall into Adrian Amos, uh, that's very good. That's a very good result uh, for sure, even though the process wasn't 100% uh, great. But Amos, you look at him and his career as the Bears, with the Bears, you know, he was one of the most stable, consistent safeties in the NFL ever since he entered the league as a rookie. You know, he got a lot of flack for not creating as many turnovers. I think he didn't have an interception in the first three years of his career, or his first two careers of his career, I believe. 
2017, he finally got that first interception, I think against the Baltimore Ravens, but, um, but he was just a very solid player um, for a long time for the, for the four, for four years, basically with the bears. And uh, he was a consistent player for uh, the bears in that secondary there really, um, you know, he played the role of the safety, the way the name entails it, where he was the last line of the fence. He was a consistent tackler. He's a reliable tackler, uh, always in the right position, never out of place. Um, again, didn't make the flashy plays on the ball like an Eddie Jackson does uh, for this team, but uh, just a guy that you want on your football team as a starting player. And he got a nice contract with the Packers, which is unfortunate that he went to Green Bay out of all out of all places there. But he's been a good player for the Packers as well in a couple of years. He's been there uh, again, just a very solid player all over, overall and uh, a great selection here uh, in the fifth round. Yeah, and you mentioned consistency there when it comes to Adrian Amos. And let's be real, the Bears' safety position since letting Adrian Amos go in the 2019 offseason has effectively been a revolving door. Because to Sean Gibson, I mean, he's been good, but he hasn't been the caliber of, let's just say, Amos. And I forgot one other name that was Ha Clinton Dix, who was also back there in 2019 as well for just one season. But ultimately, look at Amos. What I really liked about Amos, and you hit on a lot of these points, is that he was a hard-hitting safety, willing to get involved in the run game, really a consistent tackler. I thought he was very good in coverage as well. But then also, you look at it, right? He ultimately, right, was just a really good guy in that last line of defense. Um, when you look at Amos's career with the Bears, you realize that he started off as the starter, and then the Bears signed Quentin down. And then what happened is I think in like 2016 or 2017. And then at that point, it's like he wasn't the starter, but then Demps got injured and he regained the starting position and never really looked back. So it took a year or two for Amos to develop into a consistent starter. But once he got the job, he really held it down. And I will say this because you mentioned him signing with the Packers. I actually had the opportunity to interview Adrian in his first season with Green Bay. And one of the big things that he told me was that the Bears never actually offered him a contract because they felt like they could do better. And so the Bears didn't even reattempt to work out any sort of long-term deal with Amos. Now, there's two reasons for that. Number one is because they felt like they could get an upgrade, which you could argue that they did in HaHa Clinton Dix. But the number two, the big thing was also the Bears were limited on cap space because they had just signed Khalil Mack to a big deal. And so naturally, someone was going to need to be sacrificed or be the sacrifice of Lamb, let's say. And teams in the NFL do this all the time. They let good players go in hopes of finding an upgrade or they let good players go knowing that there's another area on the roster that's a real strength. Yeah, I think that's what happened with the Bears there in that offseason. They had to let, you know, players go from that defense. You know, the 2018 defense was an historic group on terms of the last decade of football here. And, you know, they again, it's tough to keep defenses in, in play for a long time. This is why, you know, you want to build up the offense as much as possible in the modern NFL because – defenses are just not consistent year after year guys are going to leave to free agency guys are going to get paid elsewhere and you know it's just hard to, to sustain good defensive football over multiple seasons and you know losing a guy like Adrian Amos to free agency is a big reason why um you know for the Bears perspective there I think it's unfortunate that they didn't offer a contract I think if they were offered a contract maybe let's say maybe part of the reason why Adrian Amos went to the Packers was just out of spite you know for the Bears not offering him a contract you know that could have been a big reason why that that happened there so 
Uh, you never know what happens there, but I mean, I'm glad that Andrew Amos is continuing to be a solid player in the NFL. He certainly earned that contract. He's been a good player for the Packers, uh, which I mean, good for, for on a personal level, you're, you're happy to see that for him. And again, anytime you get a starter for four years there uh, out of the fifth round, uh, that's a huge, uh, that's huge for your football team, especially for a rebuilding team like the bears were at that time. Uh, that ended up being a very important pick for them. And, you know, he, he was a crucial piece of that, 2018 defense, even though I know Bears fans like to minimize him. And I've been guilty of this too a little bit in the past, but uh, we're, we're starting to see that he had a much bigger impact on that defense. And I think a lot of people were willing to admit at the time. Um, you, you just, you just seen Eddie Jackson. He just hasn't been quite the same playmaker since Adrian Amos has left that safety spot. Um, you know, the defense as a whole just hasn't been as, as good with Adrian Amos not here. So uh, he definitely had an impact on that, on that team for a couple of years there. And, you know, he's going to have a long, successful NFL career at the end of the day, which getting that in the fifth round, very good value right there. So that gets us to the last pick here in the sixth round here. And that was Ty Fabulege here off the tackle. He only played one year in the NFL. He was out of the league in one year, you know, whatever. I mean, he, he just did not turn into anything here um, with the Bears. And again, like in the sixth round, seventh round, it's tough to like judge these picks just because, you know, when you get to that point in the draft, it really is a crapshoot. I know we, we talk about the, the draft being a crapshoot in general, but I mean, when you talk about the first four to five rounds, you generally generally have a pretty good idea of what these players can be at the next level. And you can project them to a starting position. In the sixth, seventh round, you really don't know. And it, it really comes down to you're banking on some traits or um, you're banking on a guy that was you know successful in college, but maybe doesn't have the athletic ability that a lot of these other players have. And Fabulous, I feel like they were trying to bank on some traits here and it just didn't work out. It turns out the guy just wasn't very good at football. Yeah, Fabulouge is interesting because I had to go back because I always remember that the Bears drafted him, but I also had to go back and do some research. And I mean, after he was done with the Bears, essentially what had happened is he bounced around the Arena Football League. I believe he was in the XFL and the AAF for some time too, just trying to get his name back into the NFL. But also another thing i want to add on as we kind of talk about these late round guys here this is actually also the draft class that saw the bears select or not select but i should say they found undrafted free agent bryce callahan in this draft as well who went on to become a really solid slot corner and i think that's an underrated fact that a lot of fans are unaware of is that yeah, the highlight of this class is always going to be Goldman as well as Amos, but Bryce Callahan was probably the third best player in this class. Yeah, Bryce Callahan, and they also got Cam Meredith out of this undrafted class as well, who, you know, was a solid player for a couple of years there at wide receiver. Uh, he was a quarterback at, at uh, Illinois State, I believe, and then, and then he transitioned to wide receiver when he got to the NFL. He proved to be a solid player for them as an undrafted free agent before, you know, he had a very unfortunate knee injury that kind of ended his career basically. But yeah, like you said, Bryce Callahan, if we're counting him in this draft um, as part of this draft class, I mean, that boosts your grade as a whole if you're looking at this thing. But um, to get him as an undrafted free agent, one of the best nickel corners in the NFL um, over the past few years, when he's healthy, that is, you know, injuries have been the kind of the Achilles heel with Bryce Callahan, just hasn't been able to stay healthy at all throughout his career. But when he's been on the field, He's been a fantastic player. It's unfortunate that the Bears weren't able to keep him because he was a big key player in that defense for them in the slot. Um, the Bears secondary, again, without Amos and Callahan, that secondary, that secondary has not been the same, I, I, in my opinion, at least. But, um, you know, they get two contributors like that 
in the fifth round and then as an undrafted free agent. Uh, that's just fantastic value, fantastic work by Ryan Pace in his first draft, despite, you know, making a couple other mistakes here. And, you know, that gets us to great in this draft right now. Um, I'll go first here, you say, and just kind of give my thoughts on all these draft picks, kind of grade this thing out. I gave this, this draft as a whole a C minus grade. I felt like it was a slightly below average draft because, you know, you do get two long-term starters here in Eddie Goldman and Adrian Amos, but nothing much else here in terms of the actual draft picks. Um, and just going this by this, you know, pick by pick here, you know, Kevin White, I gave that a flat out F. I mean, he's just, he's a bust. Uh, there's nothing, no way to put it. Um, you know, Ryan Pace, I don't blame him or Kevin White for this happening. It was just, again, like we kind of mentioned it before, just really bad luck, really unfortunate injury injuries that kept on um, piling up for Kevin White here. Um, you know, Ryan Pace was clearly trying to make a play at upside here with Kevin White. Uh, it just, it just did not work out. And again, it's just an F because, you know, they put a lot of chips on the table here to go get him at this point in the draft. And it, it just did not work here for Kevin White, but they made up for the second round. I gave Eddie Goldman pick a B plus because again, I dinged it a little bit for positional value and Eddie Goldman, while he's been a very good player, you know, he's not been a, you know, pro bowl, all pro type of guy uh, that you, you know, you hope you can get in the second round, but he's been a long-term starter, which is what you're looking for in the second, third round. That's where you get your long-term uh, starters where you really get the foundation of your team in those rounds of the draft. And Eddie Goldman, he's been a foundational piece for this defense ever since he joined it. Again, they were moving to a three, four defense. So they needed a nose tackle. He fit the bill uh, very well there. So I gave that a B plus uh, both Grisou and Lankford in the third and fourth round. I gave those, those D's just because, you know, Grisou, not quite an F, even though he's a third round pick, you're looking for a starter there. I didn't give it quite enough because he's been in the league still for a few years. He's, he's bounced around the league a little bit. It is tough to find offensive lineman depth in the NFL these days, even in the interior. And Grisou, he's, he, he's had a little bit of, a, of an NFL career here as a backup center. So I gave him a little bit of credit for that. But uh, Langford, a D as well. Uh, just, you know, he's been out of the league since 2018. Uh, didn't make much of an impact. Uh, just uh, only two years of of impact, basically, from Jeremy Langford. It really wasn't that much impact as a running back. So just... Again, other than a few flashes and a couple games here and there, just didn't really do much for the Bears as a whole. Uh, and then the Amos pick in the fifth round, that's an obvious A. Uh, just to get a starter at that point in the draft is just fantastic value at, at that portion in the fifth round. The only reason it's not an A-plus is because they just weren't able to work out a, long a long-term deal. If he was stayed you know, long-term with the Bears uh, and got a second contract, I think that's an easy A-plus pick. But because they let him go in free agency – uh, that's just an A uh, at this point. And then the sixth round, uh, Fabulasia, I gave that a C minus because he only spent the year, he only spent one year with the Bears. But as a sixth, seventh round pick, I really can't dog them too much for making it. You know, it was a good process to try and take a, you know, a flyer on an offensive lineman. Uh, just did not work out for them. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I have a lot of similar grades. Um, I will say I would actually give the Eddie Goldman pick a um, A minus because ultimately when you look at it, you realize that, like I mentioned earlier in the show, I mean, Goldman has really played the game at a high level and he's been one of the most underrated parts for the Bears defense over the last couple of years because there is a noticeable impact in 2019 when Goldman was on the field compared to 2020 when he wasn't on the field. And I know a lot of people cite, oh, well, really what it was was this, is the fact that like Chuck Pagano didn't 
necessarily utilize the Bears defense to its fullest talent. But let's be honest. I mean, Goldman not being there, Pagano could never control that. The Bears could not control that. But there was still such a noticeable part missing. And what was so impacted by the absence of Goldman was the inability of the Bears run defense to consistently stop good running backs because we saw a lot of running backs. They hit the open hole just once, and then it was very hard for anyone to really bring them down. And the Bears defense did do that at times last year. They allowed a lot of big running plays. So hopefully with Goldman back in the fall in 2021, we don't see that happen as much. Yeah, absolutely. I think Eddie Goldman, like we, we talked about a lot here, uh, he's just a huge part of the run defense. He's probably the most important part of the run defense at that nose tackle position, especially if they want to go to more of those two interior defensive linemen. Uh, you know, basically if it was nickel looks basically where, you know, you have him and Hicks out there as the defensive lineman, uh, you know, Eddie Goldman's huge for that because he can two gap at a high level. Uh, it takes up a lot of space, eats up a lot of blocks and it keeps guys like Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan free to go out there and make plays silently on the sidelines. So I uh, can't say enough good things about Eddie Goldman. Um, even though I, I didn't give him an A pick for that, but uh, Eddie Goldman, he's a very good player. And, and I, I, I'm very happy with that draft pick as a whole. I think that my, our, my grade could go up a little bit if I'm including Bryce Callahan into the mix here um, because he was a long-term piece. Well, not a long-term piece, but a, a starting caliber player at that nickel spot. But uh, because he's, he was an undrafted free agent, technically, I'm not including him. Uh, but that gets us to the fun part here, you say it. And that's where to kind of close things out here. We're going to be redrafting uh, this draft here for the Bears and kind of doing a what-if scenario for – you know, if Ryan Pace would have maximized the value of this draft a little bit. So we had a couple of rules here um, to kind of go by. So I'll go over those uh, really briefly here before we break this down. But in this draft, you can only change three picks here because, you know, I just figured, you know, with six picks in this draft, you can only change half the picks. So three picks here is what we're going to be changing here at most in this draft class. Um, and then, you know, going, you know, pick by pick here, uh, when you're changing a pick, you can only go a certain number of slots down the board um, for who is available at that time. So for the first round, it was in the next 20, you could pick from the next 20 picks after uh, the seventh pick in the draft. In the second round, in the third round, it was the next 30 picks after those picks for the Bears, and then so on and so on once we get to later rounds there. So uh, you said, I'll start with you. What was your redraft uh, for this 2015 class? Yeah, so I went with um... – First round pick, seventh overall, I took Andres Pete. Now, he originally went to the New Orleans Saints at 13th overall. He's an offensive lineman, and when you look at it, he plays right guard. You could make this serious argument that he's become the second-best interior offensive lineman in this draft class, only after Brandon Sheriff, who went fifth overall to the Washington football team. And my rationale for picking was that Chicago, well, Ryan Pace, really, they begin this this NFL draft by continuing to invest in the trenches. Because if you look at the offensive line after the 2014 season, like we mentioned earlier, there was only one real building block and that was Kyle Long. Yeah. And you know, Pete has been an interesting player. Uh, he got a second contract with the Saints, got a big deal with them. Uh, he, he's had a nice long career at the guard position. He played tackle in college, but he ended up going to guard uh, when he got to the NFL there. And he's been a solid player. Uh, for them over there now for me I ended up going in a different direction here with my first round pick and um, you know because looking at this Bears team as a whole you know coming out of this rebuild starting this rebuild here uh, they were coming off the 2014 defense which was the worst 
in franchise history at that point. Like it cannot be understated, like overstated, I should say, how bad that defense was in 2014, 2013. They didn't have any foundational players outside of Kyle Fuller. They didn't have an identity. Um, there, there were just not a lot of good things to build off of with that unit there. So I went to this draft, went into this redraft here, and you know the best player that I saw available at this point in the draft at the seventh overall selection was Marcus Peters, cornerback, who was originally taken by the Kansas City Chiefs at the 18th selection. You know, you can make a compelling argument that Peters has been the best player in this draft class just as a whole uh, for this 2015 draft. Um, you know, he's up there with Amari Cooper, Brandon Sheriff, a lot of these other guys here, Eric Kendricks, uh, Stefan Diggs. He's up there, right up there with them and has an argument to be made as the best player in this draft class. And you look at him immediately right away he's a starting caliber player on that defense as the second outside quarterback next to Cal Fuller and long term here you look at this group here in the secondary they would have formed probably the best young cornerback duo in the NFL with him and Cal Fuller on the outside there I mean Marcus Peters and Cal Fuller both of them play a very um, aggressive game in terms of they're going to go for interceptions they're going to look to make plays on the ball uh, especially Marcus Peters that's one of the best things about him and putting him in this defense with Vic Fangio, who likes to run a lot of mixed coverages, a lot of zone coverages, that really would have emphasized Marcus Peters's, Mike, Marcus Peters's ability to be a playmaker and a ball hawk in this defense. I just would have loved his fit in this unit right here uh, next to Cal Fuller. I mean, it just would have been, it would have been like Legion of Boom all over again on the outside, those two cornerbacks right there. It would have been fantastic, especially uh, with who they added in the secondary in the following years. Yeah, Marcus Peters, That's would honestly be a really solid pick at seventh overall. But just a side note here from this draft class, what when you go back and you look at the draft class, what's interesting is that the two top corners, so the top corner that was selected was actually Trey Waynes, who went 11th overall to the Minnesota Vikings. Now, Waynes has been good, but he hasn't been as good as Peters or the second guy, Byron Jones. So what I'm saying is this is the two top corners in this class, Peters and Byron Jones, well, they were selected in the mid to late first round. And then just in terms of defensive backs in general, man, I mean, this draft class, Landon Collins went 33rd overall to the New York Giants, another really solid box safety that I believe has made the Pro Bowl a couple times as well. But just overall, this wasn't that good of a class for defensive backs. And really, there's three that had emerged. And then ahead of Peters, you had Waynes and also Kevin Johnson selected. And I don't even think Johnson's made it to his second contract with the um, Houston Texans. He's actually playing for Tennessee right now. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Peters is clearly the best quarterback uh, selected in this draft. And like you said, I mean, this draft as a whole, when you look at this 2015 class, didn't have the star power, I think, of a lot of other drafts that surrounded it. Definitely not as much as 2014 uh, with some of the big names in that class with Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, uh, some of the other big names there. Um, but, I mean, Marcus Peters has been a number one, number two cornerback in this league for a long time. And to get that value in the first round there, especially at a valuable position with where the Bears were at, that would have been a fascinating move for them for sure. And, and it certainly would have worked out better than uh, Kevin White, who just did not contribute anything uh, overall. That brings us to the second round. I think we both were in agreement here. Uh, keeping with Eddie Goldman here, what was your kind of, uh, what was your thinking there sticking with Eddie Goldman in the second round? Yeah, my rationale was that they get one of the guys who, like we've mentioned multiple times, has become one of the more underrated defensive players from this class. Now, when you look at it, 
in terms of Eddie Goldman, I mean, there were some solid defensive players that were selected after him, like Frank, Frank, Frank Clark, for example, when I believe like 50th or 60th overall to the, um, to the Seattle Seahawks. And then also you did have someone like Bernard McKinney, a linebacker from Mississippi state, Eric Kendricks, who the Vikings ended up drafting. So there are some good players just overall available, but Goldman gets the cut for me just because of the overhaul that the bears were going through at the time on the defensive side of the ball. Um, from transitioning from a four, three, all the way to a three, four. Yeah, that was my reasoning for sticking with that pick, too, even though I didn't give that the A grade, obviously. But Eddie Goldman was just a very solid player. And with where the Bears were at, and where you, which is where you have to kind of put your mindset here with where the Bears were at in the context of the time, uh, they needed a true nose tackle here. And Eddie Goldman was the best in this class. He's been one of the best in the NFL. And, you know, he certainly fit right there. I did consider going with Eric Kendricks or Tyler Lockett here uh, just because, you know, Eric Kendricks, he's been an elite linebacker for a few years here. And Tyler Lockett, uh, one of the better deep threats in the NFL, one of the best playmaking wide receivers in the NFL uh, with Russell Wilson over there in Seattle. But ultimately, I still feel like with, the Bear, with where the Bears were at, this was the right selection at the time for where they were as a team. And, you know, Eddie Goldman and Marcus Peters, especially in my, my uh, redraft, for instance, uh, I mean, you're getting two really good defensive players there to kick off a rebuild right there. And that brings us to the third and fourth round. Um, I ended up changing both of these picks you saved for my last two changes. And I ended up going with Daniil Hunter, edge player, who was originally drafted, of course, by the Minnesota Vikings at 88. And then in the fourth round, I got Stephon Diggs, uh, wide receiver, again, another Minnesota player right here. So I got pretty much both of Minnesota's picks here in the third and fourth round um, to be on the Bears here, which how different would those franchises be if those two picks were made Um by the bears instead of the Vikings. Like this is some of the stuff you don't, we don't think about when we're re, redoing these drafts here. But I mean, we're talking about a franchise altering, you know, draft right here for both of these teams uh, from the standpoint of, you know, the bears, they get their two most impactful players from that class while the Vikings, they lose out on two guys that were huge for uh, their team going forward. Cause Daniel Hunter, he was their best edge rusher for a few years there uh, when their defense was really, really good. Um, during the 2017, 2016, 2018 period there. Uh, Jalen Hunter, he's been one of the best edge rushers in the NFL ever since he entered the NFL. He was considered a bit of a project, which is why he lasted to the third round. But to get him there uh, is just fantastic value. And then Diggs, uh, he's been one of the best wide receivers in the NFL um, over the past few years. And think about this too, how this uh, relates to where the Vikings are right now. The Vikings don't get Justin Jefferson without uh, – Stefan Diggs there, I would, I would assume, because, you know, Stefan Diggs, that trade, that draft pick was Justin Jefferson. So all of these things kind of, you know, work off each other here in this team building aspects of things. So really interesting to go back and look at this here. Yeah, so for me, I kept it the exact same way with you as well. I went with um, Danielle Hunter as well as Stefan Diggs. Now, Danielle Hunter is interesting because he actually did not become a full-time starter until his third season. But then he also had 18 and a half sacks within those first two years after starting just one game between 2015 and 2016. And then Stefan Diggs, what happens is this at the wide receiver position, there's always the one mid-round guy that emerges every single year that goes on to become a future star in the NFL. And in this year's case, it was absolutely Diggs, who I really thought was overlooked. And so in any redraft, I think Diggs is the second or third wide receiver off the board after Amari Cooper and Devontae Parker. 
you could actually make this argument too that the redraft wide receiver rankings for 2015 would go Cooper and then Diggs because Devontae Parker has been good, but it's also Stephon Diggs has been far more impactful. Yeah, Diggs, he's been one of the best separators in the NFL uh, over the past few years, really. With his route, he's been one of the best route runners in the NFL, has been consistent with his hands over the past few years. Uh, just a top 10 wide receiver easily in the NFL. And we saw what he did for Josh Allen there in his development, getting him in Buffalo last season, uh, really helped with his development in that third year. And, you know, Diggs next to Alshon Jeffrey, too. This is very interesting because they would have in this redraft here in the scenario. You're looking at two wide receivers with completely different play styles here where Alshon Jeffrey was the big jump ball, go get it type of wide receiver while Diggs was the pure separator route runner type of guy um, to kind of, you know, work off of Alshon Jeffrey. And would have made that offense with Jay Culler in his last year. They're pretty interesting because you have two uh, dynamic, you know, wide receivers there on the outside to throw to uh, maybe Jay Culler would have had a bit of a better better year there that in that 2015 season even though he was pretty good in 2015 but maybe that extended his career a little bit into 2016 and 2017 with the bears I, some of the what ifs there that you can never really predict here with the draft and just kind of looking at the thing in hindsight uh but that brings us to the last two picks and i think we had to keep both of these picks the same uh because of the guidelines of the redraft but adrian amos i think you'd keep it the same anyway just because he was just a really solid player for the bears and what they needed at the time for that defense and then Tyu Fabulige, and I'll just tell you in the sixth round, some of the guys I was looking at here, uh, Quandre Diggs was available at this time, safety, who was drafted by the Lions, I believe, but ended up playing for the Seattle Seahawks when he got traded over there. He's been a very good safety uh, over the past couple of years. Darren Waller was available at this point in the draft, who's been a dynamic player for the Las Vegas Raiders at the tight end position over the past couple of years. He was a guy that was always considered a project. He was a wide receiver in college, but transitioned to tight end. Had some, you know, off-field issues that kind of kept him from maximizing his potential. But, man, he's, he's really been a stud player for the Raiders over the past couple of years at that tight end position. Um, really the perfect fit for what they were looking for at that time. Then uh, one more name I'll put out there, Austin Ryder um, was also on my list at the center position. Um, he was a seventh-round pick, uh, I think, to the Browns initially. But he's bounced around the league a little bit. He played for the Chiefs the last couple of years. Just a very solid starting center. And to get that in the seventh round would have been, or sixth round in this case, uh, just would have been good value. But because of the rules of this redraft, I'm sticking with Tayu Fabio Ligier. Yeah, so for me, I kept um, Amos as well as Fabio as well. Now, when you do look at that sixth round, there's actually one other guy that I wanted to add on, which is linebacker Anthony Chicolo. He played with the Steelers from 2015 to 2019, spent 2020 with the Saints, currently a free agent. But Chicolo was very productive. He was very productive as a rotational outside linebacker for the Steelers. I mean, I believe he had like 105 tackles. So definitely a player that was never going to blow you out of the water, but then also a guy that you could consistently put in there for whatever, 12 to 15 snaps a game. And then he could certainly make something happen. And so when you look at those names like Diggs and Waller, I mean, Waller slipped because he had a lot of um, drug issues and a lot of off the field stuff that he was dealing with. But then Diggs has become really solid. Writers become pretty solid as well. Chickalo, pretty good depth piece. And like you mentioned earlier, really what you're trying to do at that point is just find guys in round six and seven that are going to become solid rotational players, even if it's only for four to five years. Yeah, absolutely. Got like Chickalo. Again, you're looking for special teams depth. 
Uh, Chick has been a very good special teams player uh, throughout his career. And, you know, looking at this thing as a whole, I, th- I mean, obviously this would have been a, like a home run draft for the bears if they would have gone either direction here that we went with, um, with our selections here. But uh, overall, I-, I think they're, you know, looking back at this 2015 class, it's very interesting uh, to see how this, how this reshapes the league a little bit. I mean, I mean, you talk about that 2018 defense being down for the Bears. Imagine if they would have had this class um, with Peters, uh, Daniel Hunter on the board uh, right there for them, with Adrian Amos right there. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a dominant defense just based off of what you have with that rookie class. And maybe they don't make that trade for Khalil Mack uh, because of that um, scenario right there with Daniel Hunter on the board for them. So uh, very interesting to see how things could change uh, just by changing a couple picks here with this draft. But I think that's going to do it here uh, for our recap or, or I should say our redrafting and regrading of the 2015 draft class. It was very interesting to look back um, at this draft class and just look at where things could have changed for the bears as a franchise um, with this, with their, with their draft picks here. And uh, it was very fascinating overall to kind of take that look, that peek back at it and just kind of see how we got to where we're at here with this 2021 team. It really all starts with that 2015 draft. I know Eddie Coleman's the only player um, that is still around from that draft class, but I mean, you can just see with some of the opportunities they had and some of the players they could have had there, uh, they had a chance. There, there were some chances there to get some game-changing players there, and this is why you know getting in the draft is so key uh, to have as many picks as possible because um, you know more shots at the cupboard, so to speak, to kind of add to your talent base there. And uh, we saw with the Bears there; they had some opportunities. I felt like to maybe trade down and get some more talent there. But ultimately they got two starters out of this in Adrian Amos and Eddie Goldman. They could have had, if you want to include Bryce Callahan as well, they added a third starter right there as well. So for the first draft and rebuild, I don't think this is a terrible draft whatsoever. It ended up being pretty solid for the bears overall, but certainly underwhelming considering some of the drafts we're going to be getting up to soon, especially this 2016 draft, which we'll be talking about next week. So Without further ado, you see, I think it's a good time to wrap things up here for this episode of the Picks for Pace podcast. Make sure to make sure if you're one of our listeners here to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace. Uh, you said, where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter as well, every as well as every other social media platform at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report. I know we've got OTAs kicking off this week, so gonna have some articles for you guys. Also, check out my breakdown on why Bears cornerback Jalen Johnson is gonna have a breakout season in 2021. And then just keep an eye out on the Bear Report forums, guys. Come interact with us. You know, we're there year round, especially myself and our publisher Zach Pearson. We're always talking bears. All right. So join us up on the forums, guys. Subscribe to the website as well for some inside analysis as well as news. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to do that as well. Subscribe to the, to the Bear Report as well. We have a couple of deals coming on for our subscribers there. Uh, we can get a really good deal on what we're doing here at the Bear Report with some of our coverage here over the next couple of months going into training camp. But uh, overall, uh, for me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25. You can find my work on the Bear Report as well. I just released an, uh, an article last week detailing where the Bears are at with their salary cap situation. So if you want to check that out and get a little bit of a deep dive into you know, where the Bears are at in terms of how much cap space they have this year, next year, some of the moves they can make, uh, some of the free agents coming down the pipeline for them that are going to be demanding big money for them. Uh, definitely go check that out. Um, you know, it's really fascinating to see where the Bears are, Bears are at as a franchise right now after drafting Justin Fields. There's a lot of moving parts moving forward, and that's really where the fun comes in 
uh, looking at this thing from a big picture standpoint. So without further ado, I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in on all podcasting platforms. You have a great week, rest of your week, everybody here to all of our listeners here. Bear down, Bears fans. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com